Good morning, everyone. Buenos dias. Como están? Woo, I love it. Are you enjoying your Sunday? Yes, great Sunday. I am, big time. I was wondering if I could preach my sermon doing a little, a little bit of this. Would that be okay? Would that be properly correct, Pastor Dave? Okay, I won't do it. Eh, quiero darle la bienvenida a todos los de la comunidad en español. Es siempre un gusto estarlos aquí. I also want to welcome all the other people from all different backgrounds and cultures. We celebrate English and Spanish because we have, those are our, our official congregations, but we know there is about 30 or more nationalities represented here. So welcome to you as well. Bienvenue. That's all I have for you. Those of you that don't know me, my name is Gabby. I am one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill, and I am delighted to be preaching the Word of God today on Pentecost, this amazing day that many consider the birth of the church. And if we are celebrating the birth of the church, then happy birthday, everyone. Les estoy diciendo feliz cumpleaños a todos y el día de Pentecostés. Es el día en que celebramos el nacimiento de la iglesia, pues entonces hay que felicitarnos los unos a los otros. ¿No es así? Es un placer, ustedes ya me conocen, pero si hay alguien más que habla español que no me conoce, mi nombre es Gaby, y es un placer, un verdadero placer estar aquí con ustedes esta mañana. I wish I could preach the whole sermon in both languages, doing back and forth, and it, the idea sounds really awesome, but it really wouldn't be very fun for you. It would be very long, I would get all confused, and you want to, you know, you like short services, don't you? I kind of know that about you. So, the bulk of the service is going to be preaching English. There might be a little bit of Spanish here and there. Who knows? We'll see. But it's all going to be okay. And for the Spanish speakers who need help with translation, we have some earpieces. Cristina, ¿dónde estás? I am. Uh, Cristina has extra ones if anyone needs those. Maybe you don't need help and you'd like to practice your Spanish. Go grab one. It's a great opportunity. Anyway... Uh, today we get to celebrate Pentecost, and that, that's exciting news. Um, I took the liberty of providing a title to this sermon in Spanglish, because I thought that would be a fun way to honor both congregations. But the other reason why I, do that, why I did that is because it truly represents the reality of Pentecost and this beautiful creativity of God that he shows to us through language. If you missed it, in case you couldn't see, if you were sitting over there, Steve, our English reader, was reading in Braille. So that was another language added on. During first service, we had sign language. And then thanks to Jairo, we had body language too. So there's the whole enchilada happening today. <laughs> and it was a beautiful thing to see, wasn't it? Just all those languages. I was crying. I was like, oh, I hope this goes away because I got to preach. But I was bawling. Because uh, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. I love this passage in Acts 2 when the Spirit of God was poured out into all believers and tongues of fire descended and people spoke different languages and everybody was marveled at such a wonderful display. I, I imagine it must have been amazing and, and celebrating that is a great thing. Remember it, it's a great thing. But what I want to talk about this morning is about its relevance for us today. And this is the big question. Is Pentecost a moment in history that we just get to look back on? Or is there something else for us to embrace today and live into? To answer that question, I'd like to share with you a story that I've called 
A Tale of Two Strangers. This story um, is a true story. It happens in the Bible. It's a story about two men who did not know each other, but who got to experience a beautiful encounter one day. Um, the story happened about 10 years after that moment of Pentecost in Acts 2 that we uh, read about. And the strangers in this story could not be more different. One of them was a man who was in full-time ministry. He was a Jewish guy, and he went from town to town extending the kingdom of God. He didn't really have a place to stay. He stayed wherever people offered him housing. Based on this kind of living, chances are he wasn't that wealthy, but he was a devout Jew. Now, on the other hand, we have this other guy who was used to a little bit more luxury, a little bit more power, a little bit more influence, a little bit more wealth. This guy was a Roman soldier. He was a centurion. And he was also a Gentile, which is just the word for non-Jew. Right? The Gentiles were the outsiders, the ones that did not belong, the different ones. This guy was used to giving orders. This guy was, do you know who I'm talking about? Does anyone know? We'll start here. The guy here, remember, I'm, I'm, I'm being tricky with you. Ten years after Pentecost, we're still in the book of Acts. He's a Jewish guy, he's an apostle, and his name starts with P. No, Peter! Not Paul, Peter. And the guy over here is Cornelius. That was his name. And we're going to read their story, Acts chapter 10. You can look it up in your Bible, but honestly, I think the easiest thing is going to be for you to follow me because it's a very long story and we got to track along. Are you with me? All right, Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and, his, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in, in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So the first thing we learn about Cornelius from this passage is that, yes, he was a Roman soldier, but he was also a believer, and that's a pretty big deal. And one day, this guy had a vision when, where an angel talked to him and asked him to go fetch a certain guy called Peter, who chances are he, Cornelius probably didn't even know he existed, but Cornelius' response to this call, to this invitation, to this challenge, really, was simply to trust and obey. So he sent three men looking for this guy. Meanwhile, we have Peter over in Joppa who was staying with this tanner called Simon as well. And the next day after Cornelius had his vision, he goes up to the roof to pray and as he's praying, he has a vision as well. 
But his vision looks slightly different or a lot different. Let's jump over to verse 11. In his vision, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being led down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter replied, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclear. Now, can anyone see the contrast between those responses? They're quite different, aren't they? Between the Roman soldier and the apostle Peter. They both got a vision. They both were invited to trust and obey God. And Cornelius' response was, sure, I'll do it. But Peter's response was, surely not. I can't. And we got to understand what Peter is coming from. We got to go through the context. And in the Jewish law, it was forbidden to eat those particular animals. So we can totally understand this could be difficult for Peter. His entire life, he he had heard that these creatures, that these things were a big no, no. You stay away from those. You don't eat them. They're impure. They're unclean. And when you grow up believing something, it's really hard to change those things when you're an adult, isn't it? I see some people nodding over here. It is. We can all relate to that in one way or another. For instance, I grew up believing all sorts of things, but there's this particular thing about my culture, and I think all of you guys will understand. I grew up thinking that if you drank a glass of water with a lot of ice, you could get sick, right? It's weird. I don't know why we think that. If there is a place in the world where you need a glass with a lot of ice, it's in Mexico. And we think it's going to make us ill. I don't know why, but I, I grew up thinking that and believing that. And to this day, even though I know I'm going to be okay, when someone asks me if I water with ice, I'm like, sure, but d- just a little, just in case. Because why not? It is true. It is true. In fact, there was someone um, from this church, from the English-speaking congregation, that once mentioned that to me. He heard it from some family in Latin America, and he said, do you believe that? And I'm like, oh, I kind of do, I kind of don't, but it's so ingrained in me. It's hard to change it. And that's just a silly example. But there are many other things we may believe that are not as innocent as extra eyes. Things we begin to learn at an early age when we find ourselves in that school patio or cafeteria. Those dreadful places where we learn in a matter of seconds who is cool and who is not. Who is better, who is less, and why. We pick up those cues, we learn them. They shape how we think, they shape how we see ourselves, they, they shape how we see others. And we grow up and it is hard, and it is hard to change those things. And it could be even harder for those of us who grew up in the church and formed an entire belief system that is almost sacred to us. Maybe you grew up hearing that there was one way of doing church. Or maybe you grew up hearing this is what good looks like and this is what bad looks like, so look good. And maybe if that was you, you grew up with all those ideas, and then one day you eventually had to move out of that church, and you go to a new church, 
and you hear something different, and you see them doing church differently, and what happens? You struggle. You struggle big time. This is where Peter was at. He was struggling. He was wrestling with his faith. So we can identify with him when he says, uh, wait a second, I, I don't know, I'm not sure. I, I can't. God, I know it's you talking, but is it really you talking? Because that's not what I've heard. The passage says that Peter went back and forth with God three times. And can you imagine that? Peter, kill and eat. No, God, of course not. No, surely not. Peter, kill and eat. No, 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 but you told me that. Peter, I'm going to say this one more time. I learned from you moms. I'm not sure God said it like that. But they did go back and forth three times, and that's a lot. And at some point, God had to set him straight. And he said, just Peter, stop. Look, stop. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Boom. Man, there is a lot in that statement. And we're going to unpack it slowly because we got to go with the story. And at this point in the story, Peter is clueless. He does not know what that means. He's scratching his head. He's wondering, hmm, what does he mean by that? He's confused. What should I do? God, what do, you, do you really want me to do that? So he asks questions. And God, obviously, does not give him a straight answer because how often does he do that? In my case, hardly ever. Instead, what God does is give Peter an opportunity to figure out for himself what the vision might mean. Verse 19. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And sure enough, as soon as God finishes saying this, the three men showed up at the door. Ding dong. Of course, there were no doorbells, but it helps with the illustration. Peter goes downstairs. He opens the door and finds these three men, and he welcomes them. That's what the story says. That's how I used to read the story. But after doing a little bit of research and after understanding the background of these two guys, I think I read it differently now. Peter went downstairs and he opened the door and he saw these three Roman soldiers. And these soldiers told him that their boss, a centurion, was looking for him. And then he had to go with them. Now we read it a little differently, don't we? I assume Peter felt a lot of fear. If I was in his shoes, I would feel a lot of fear. I mean, today, if three cops came to my door, I know what I would do. I would play dead. <laughs> you know what? I have kind of done that. In a different way, I haven't played dead, but it, it's happened to me when I'm uncomfortable, someone's looking for Gabby, and I'm like, yeah, no, English, no, sorry. And I've done that, and it's horrible. So I'm learning a lesson today. 
I have done it. Okay. Peter must have felt that fear. Yet the scriptures say that Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. And if you read this in Greek, it literally says that Peter offered hospitality to the stranger. And that is very important for us today. That's where I want to focus for a little bit. Because when we think of hospitality, many of us think about flowers and cookies and cute decorations, right? At least that's where my mind goes. But when we read about hospitality in the Bible, it's a whole other level. The Greek word for hospitality is philosenos. And it literally means love for the strangers. And I put it up there for those of you that want to polish your skills. We, we're very familiar with the word philo, Philadelphia. But senos, it is the same root that we use for the word xenophobia, the exact opposite of this, aversion to the stranger, which is probably what Peter felt. Yet he chose to do the exact opposite. And that's usually what God asks us to do. We may feel like it's a no-no. We may feel like that's too risky. But we can do what God asks us to do. We can offer hospitality. So when we read that Peter offered hospitality to these men, he's going above and beyond our traditional understanding of hospitality. He is welcoming these strangers and allowing them into his most personal space. And those are the spaces, those are the places that make us uncomfortable, real uncomfortable. Those are the places where it hurts to be hospitable. Peter could have chosen differently. He could have shut the door. He could have said, it's not me. But deep down his soul, he knew what the right thing to do was. He might have been fearful, he might have had lots of questions, he might have been confused, but the only truth that he had, the only thing he knew for sure is that these men had been sent by God. He knew that, and so he welcomed them. And wouldn't the world be a way better place if we use this lens, this truth, every time we encounter a stranger? as people sent by God. Wouldn't that change our discourse? Wouldn't that change our societies? Wouldn't that change our politics? I think it would, big time. This week I was reading a scholar that I really, really love, and she said this about hospitality and the stranger. Pay, care, pay a lot of attention to this quote because it is deep. Knowing the truth is being in covenant with the one who is the truth and then seeing him in the other even in their most distressful disguise. Mmm, I heard that. Mmm, amen. Yes. I love that quote. I love its meaning. I love its content. That's true hospitality right there. The one that welcomes the other just as they are, not for the purpose of changing them or converting them, but for the sake of recognizing God in them. That's 
hospitality right there. When was the last time you received that kind of hospitality? If you have a story, I'm sure it felt really good. When was the last time you did not receive that kind of hospitality? If you have a story, I'm sure it did not feel very good. When was the last time you offered that kind of hospitality to others? The story goes on, right? Every single day, we have the opportunity to write a different story in the way we talk about others, in the way we treat others, in the way we look at others, in the way we treat that person on the street, in the way we refer to immigrants on national TV. I mean, in every way possible. The opportunities are endless. Now, you may be thinking, great, Gabby, I am tracking you. I love that about hospitality. But what does this story have to do with Pentecost? What does it have to do with it? Why is this story relevant? Well, you just wait, because it is coming, and it's very cool. After the soldiers stayed that night with Peter, the next day they set out back to Caesarea, and when they arrived to Cornelius' house, a huge crowd was waiting for them. And this is admirable about Cornelius, because not only did he say yes to God and said, okay, I'll obey, I send, I'll send a few people, he told the whole town about it. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I take risks, when I'm bold enough to take them, I don't tell a whole lot of people because what if things go wrong? At least it's between me and him. But Cornelius does not care. He sends out, he doesn't know if Peter is going to say yes or no, but he brings the whole town, the whole crowd. They're in his house, and then Peter walks in. And imagine the scene. They're waiting for him, they're waiting for him, they're waiting for him. He's finally here, he walks in, and then there's silence. And the very first things that come out of Peter's mouth are this. You do realize that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. <laughs> Say, what? Why is he saying that? Can you imagine that? Imagine if someone said that to you the very first thing. Imagine if I started my sermon like that. Well, it's great to be, well, you know, instead of saying any of that, you do know that I'm not supposed to associate with you. Would you receive what I have to say? Probably not. So the tension goes up, and it builds up big time. And people are wondering, what? But we were here to welcome him. What's he talking about? But then Peter says this. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Oh, tension goes down, and the people relax. And Peter and Cornelius engage in conversation, and they compare notes about their visions. Well, I, what, what brings you here? Well, I had a vision. Well, I had a vision too. Tell me about yours. And they became really good friends, and they, for a moment, forget about their differences, and all they have is their friendship. And then after that, Peter goes up. He gets up and says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. 
but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And I can imagine people clapping and feeling truly involved and accepted and included. And this was probably a huge party. And in the midst of this big celebration, Peter begins to preach the gospel to them. And he tells them all about Jesus. And again, these people are all Gentiles. So they are probably hearing the gospel for the very first time in their lives and they're hearing about this Jesus guy that died for them and loves them and is there to forgive them and invite them to the big family of God and as he's saying all that something amazing happened this is the moment we've been waiting for in this story verse 44 while Peter was still speaking these words the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message and the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard him speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, does that sound familiar or what? It does, doesn't it? Remember that passage that we read in different languages? In Acts 2? In Acts 2, the people were together, people from all nations, all of them Jewish, were in Jerusalem. They were together when suddenly a sound like a violent wind came from heaven and tongues of fire descended and everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. People were astonished and then Peter got up and preached the gospel and Pentecost happened. But then, if you want to clap, go ahead, my sister. And then, 10 years later, I'm sure a lot of people had forgotten about that. I mean, most of them didn't even know about it. They were Gentiles. But 10 years later, the people were together again. People from all nations, Gentiles, they were together. And Peter got up and preached the gospel. And as he was preaching the gospel, everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. And people were astonished because the uh, Gentiles were speaking in tongues and praising God. And you know what happened there? Pentecost happened all over again for these people. It was a great moment. But something was different this time. I don't know if you picked it up. In Acts 2, all the people that were gathered from around the world were Jewish. And they were in Jerusalem. And that's when they received the Holy Spirit. But here, the people that were gathered together in Acts 10, they were all Gentiles. They were not Jews. They did not belong. They were in Caesarea, not Jerusalem. The move of the Spirit was expanding, and these people were receiving what most Jews thought it was just for them. And that, my friends, is a big, big deal. Most people think of Acts 2 as the birth of the global church, but I actually think it's this one right here, Acts 10, or both together, both combined. In fact, none of them as a moment in time, but as a progression, as a continuum of the work of the Spirit that continues to incorporate and invite and truly welcome people from all nations into the family of God. This moment of Acts 10 is what scholars call the Pentecost of the Gentiles. And if you're Jewish, if you're not, then this is our Pentecost. <laughs> 
This is the moment when the ancient church, a church that was once exclusive and pretty tight, opened its doors to people from all sorts of backgrounds and welcomed them into the family of God. And I think the modern church needs to wrestle with this story big time. We need to wrestle with it and ask the question, what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for Cedar Mill? I want to invite you to add that to your questions in your bulletin and discuss that as a, as a small group. What does this story mean for us today? You see, when we receive the Holy Spirit in us, we practice hospitality towards God himself. And when we make God our guest in the truest sense of the word, when we allow him to make himself at home, we can expect things to change. Things will change. And if we allow that to happen, and if we allow him to stay and to remain, our bodies will eventually saturate, and God's presence in us won't have any other option but to explode and come out and impact everyone around us. That's a beautiful Im image, a beautiful invitation, isn't it? To extend hospitality, not just to others, but to God, to God himself. How do we respond to that? How can we embrace the spirit of God and the reality of Pentecost in our day-to-day -to -day life today? How can we do that? I have a few suggestions, they're just ideas, and they may sound a little simple, but I want you to think of them as baby steps that you can take and then see where they lead you. You might be surprised. And here's the first one. Make new friends. Simple as that, just make new friends. And I'm not asking you to get rid of your current friends unless you think time for that. When, what I'm inviting you to is to get to know people that you don't usually associate with. People that look different than you. People that think different than you. People that vote different than you. People that pray different than you. People that love and do their lives different than you. I'm telling you that in every interaction that you have, you will learn something new, something new about yourself, something new about them, their culture, their background, their ways, or something new about God. And who knows, maybe you'll discover that God speaks Spanish and Arabic and Chinese. And maybe you'll discover that God likes hip hop too. Because it makes sense. He created the people that made it. He's got to love it. I know he loves salsa. Both the one you eat and the one you dance. Make new friends. Idea number two. Get uncomfortable. Most people, when, when they want to offer hospitality to others, what do they say? Welcome. Come in. Make yourself comfortable. Right? We say that. But when we talk about hospitality in the biblical sense, it's the opposite. Uncomfortable. 
Why? Because for most of us, true change happens through discomfort. Think about it. It makes sense. We have our own way of doing things, our own way of thinking, and there we go, doing life our way, and then someone comes and, uh, this is not how I do things. That is not how I think. Usually what do we do? We step away and keep going. No change. No transformation. We just keep going. God knows where, but we are going. And then another person comes and boop, again. And we have the choice. Do we stay or do we move away? But what God is calling us to is to engage the uncomfortable and stay there long enough until things are comfortable again. Circumstances might be the same, but chances are you will be changed. Get uncomfortable. Number three, craft a vision. In our story, God gave both Peter and Cornelius a vision. And maybe God speaks to you through visions like these, and that's great. But maybe he doesn't, and that's okay too. And if you want to get visions like that, ask for them. Because you can. Just ask him. But visions don't always need to look like that. You can also write it down and search deep within your heart because chances are God has been speaking to you in many ways, through people, through others, through a pain that you feel when you see an injustice. Craft a vision. There is a proverb that reads, where there is no vision, the people perish. And boy, is that true. Without vision, there is no direction, no goals, no dreams to go after, no ideals, no nothing. And when we can't visualize something, chances are we're never going to get there because we don't even know what that looks like. So I invite you to craft a vision. It doesn't have to be super elaborated. It doesn't have to be long. You can write it. You can draw it. Maybe that's how you express yourself. You can shout it. You can sing it. You can dance it. You do whatever you need to do. But craft a vision. Ask God to give you one. I have a vision for the church. And I want to share it with you. It's not very long. It's not polished. It's not fully formed. And that's good. Because it needs to continue to grow. But it contains a few things I would love to see happening in the church. When I wrote it, I wrote it in Spanish. So I would love to read it in Spanish to you. And for the English speakers, you'll see the subtitles on the screens. I'm thinking of you guys too. This is my vision. Dios me ha dado una visión. Una visión de la iglesia, de lo que ella puede ser. Podría decir que es una visión del futuro, pero pudiera ser del presente, o tal vez es un poquito de los dos. Lo que veo es hermoso, es increíble, es maravilloso. Mucha gente creería que es una fantasía, pero yo sé que puede ser una realidad. Esto que veo es más que una visión, es un sueño, es un anhelo. Es la promesa que Jesús nos dio, un solo cuerpo, un solo espíritu, una misma esperanza. Pero es también un mandamiento. 
ámense unos a otros así como yo los he amado y en realidad no sé si sepamos hacerlo pero sueño con el día en que nuestro mayor miedo sea el no amar a otros como Dios nos ama donde nuestras peleas sean por querer ser los primeros en abrir la puerta, en extender un perdón, en atender a quien tiene una necesidad. Anhelo ser una iglesia que le sepa hogar a todos. Donde todos sean bienvenidos, pero no solo bienvenidos, sino aceptados. Pero no solo aceptados, sino valorados. Pero no solo valorados, sino incluidos. Sueño con todo esto y más Sueño con emoción Sueño con gran fe Y mientras camino con Dios en esta misión Le pido me conceda ver todo esto un día Amén This is my vision But I just want to tell you that it's really yours. Because I did not come up with this on my own. These are the things I hear you talking about and dreaming about. This is the th these are the things that I see some of you doing. These are the things that I need to long for and dream about. These are the things I learned from my disabilities team that teaches me how I can love them better. How I can do things differently. So I want to invite you to write your own vision. Maybe you already have one. Maybe you don't. And again, it doesn't need to be fancy. And when you write it, then share it with others. Because guess what? When people of God come together and their visions collide, Pentecost happens all over again. It happens all over again. Try one of those three options, or you can try something else. I, I don't care. Whatever it looks like, it can be big, it can be small, it doesn't matter. But whatever you do, whatever you choose to do, make a big deal out of it. Make a big deal out of it. Because guess what? It is going to be a huge deal. When we partner with God, great things happen. The Spirit moves, lives get transformed, the church grows, and that is a pretty big deal. In just a second, we're going to take communion together. And I'm going to ask you to reflect on whatever it is that God has been sharing with you today. Maybe it was something about the story. Maybe it was something about yourself. Maybe you don't know quite yet, but you can ask him. Just ask him and grab a pen and see what God shares with you. And whatever it is that he shares with you, make a big deal out of it. Bring that to the table. Bring your vision, bring your dreams, bring your fears. Bring whatever you need to bring and receive whatever you need to receive. It's all available to you. Bring it to the table and remember the sacrifice of the one who turned the ordinary into extraordinary. The one who led the way in showing us what loving the stranger meant. It looked like death. It looked like sacrifice. 
It was uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. It looked like all those things, but it, lo- it also looked like love, like true friendship. It looked like hope. That is our hope. We rest in the sacrifice. We rest in Him having risen. We rest in His promise of Him coming back. We rest in Him and only Him. That is our hope. Think of that as you come forward to receive communion. Father, thank you for all those things that you are, that you give to us, that we can't even fathom. Thank you for loving us so well, so well. We don't even know what to do with that. We don't always respond the right way, but thank you anyway. Thank you for that love. Thank you for your son. We ask you, God, to help us be transformed by that love, to help us be that love for others. Help us be that church that you dream of. Help us be that church that we are meant to be. We need you, God. We receive you, God, and we partner with you, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Please come forward when you're ready.